Welcome to Your Partner in Success Radio, a program that values the potential of knowledge, collaboration, and growth. The show is hosted by Denise Griffiths, who is known as an intensely curious nerd in stilettos. Each Wednesday, she is joined by co-host Ben Gay III, a renowned figure in the sales world. Ben is recognized for introducing The Closers, one of the most popular and powerful sales training materials ever produced. Having been mentored by Dr. Napoleon Hill himself, Ben has gained a wealth of knowledge in sales and life. Throughout the show, Denise and Ben delve into the world of sales, entrepreneurship, and success, exploring Ben's vast experience from guiding and mentoring countless professionals to achieve unparalleled success in their careers. Together, they offer unmatched guidance to listeners seeking success in their professional endeavors. Success Radio. We are talking about sales. That's what we always talk about, sales and sales mastery. And the old Southern saying, you should dance with the one that brung you. And I'm saying that in the South, you should dance with the one that brung you, (laughs) applies to the sales world too. But there's a bit of a twist. You should also continue to dance with the ones you've already got. Salespeople often spend a significant amount of time prospecting and selling to new customers because acquiring new business is essential for growth and for expanding the customer base, no question about it. But new customers represent potential income streams and can lead to increased, sorry, to increased market share and brand recognition. However, this is important. We're going to talk about this. While acquiring new customers is really important, it is equally crucial, that's a big word, crucial for salespeople to focus on cultivating and nurturing relationships with their existing customers. And there's so many reasons why. Think about this. Customer retention, upselling and cross-selling opportunities, reduced sales cycle, higher lifetime value, customer feedback and refinement, and a competitive advantageous, I can't. Ben, you're going to have to help me. Advantage and brand advocacy. There's so many reasons to hang on to those people that you have already done business with and who know you. And then there's the cost savings. Acquiring new customers typically requires many more resources and expenses compared to selling to existing ones. Ben, good morning. Today we're opening up the closers part two, page 79. Dance with the one that brung you. How you doing, Dennis? Denise. <laughs> <laughs> See, it's catchy, isn't it? Yeah. I can't talk. You can't talk either. If I start no. sneezing, you'll have to sneeze in sympathy. I uh, looked down at a note I had written about you or to you or something, and it was written in one of those pens that is fading away. I should have thrown it out instead of make a note with it. <clears throat> and it, it said, I'm like the telecaster who reads it exactly as it comes up on the teleprompter. I looked down, it said Dennis. So, okay, close enough. Uh, But but it is Denise, and thank you very much. (laughs) Thank you very much for that opening. Oh, I've been called any, a lot of people don't, I don't know how they don't know I'm a girl, but I have been called Dennis. I have been called Diane and Debbie because I have sisters named, you know, Diane and Debbie. Mm -hmm. So my mom, bless her, would say, Denise, Diane, Debbie, damn it, you know which one you are. <laughs> you know who you know who did this. <laughs> and I would look at her and say, yes, but do you? And then I'd run because she was small, but she could jump like a flea. So <laughs> she always did. Denise, Diane, Debbie, oh, darn it. <laughs> so 
I answer to all of those. None of that bothers me. I thought my name was Ben, damn it, for many years. Uh, <laughs> I didn't know they were separated. My, I really did for the longest kind of time think that Denise was my middle name because my aunts and my cousins would call me that damn Denise. So I thought <laughs> Denise was middle. And that that was, you know, that was kind of like an honor, you know, like Miss or Ms. or Mrs. It's like that damn Denise. Like I answered to that. Now that I think about it, I still answer to that. Huh. Childhood conditioning. Well, as we say in the South, call me anything, just not late for dinner. That's right. Don't call me late for supper. So we're we're talking about Dance with the One That Brung You. I love that title, but it's so important. You know, people, and I notice this a lot, people are so committed or maybe they're being told on high that they've got to get those new customers. They've got to get those in the pipeline. They've got, it's a numbers thing, I think. And they're maybe not deliberately ignoring the people who are important to them. Maybe they just don't know better. So let's talk about that. Well, I think you're absolutely right. And as a sales manager, owner, whatever, uh, of various companies, uh, I've been guilty of that myself. You know, we got to get new customers. We got to, you know, keep recruiting all the time, recruit, recruit. And it's true. And I could defend myself in court with uh, by saying, well, of course, I meant they should keep track of the customers they have. But sometimes the emphasis is so much on the new, the old get shuttled aside unless they call and place an order, they don't get attention. And what I've learned over the years is I've grown older for sure and a little wiser, perhaps, uh, is that existing customers have to be cultivated just like everybody else. Because in the rival companies, they're saying, get new customers, get new customers, get new customers. And that includes your existing customers. So getting mentally ready for this, uh, this morning, uh, I was reminded of a story my old friend Earl Nightingale used to love to tell. It was about Russell Cromwell, who was a speaker and traveled the country telling a story called Acres of Diamonds. And most people affiliated with Earl, but he got it from Russell Cromwell. And the proceeds from him traveling the country, uh, giving that speech, were was the money that they used to begin Tulane University. Tulane wouldn't exist if it weren't for Russell Cromwell telling the Acres of Diamonds story. Short form, I'm paraphrasing, so anybody who's a Earl Nightingale fanatic, don't don't call and say, well, you didn't say it right in the second paragraph, but here's the gist of it. There was a farmer in the Midwest, as best I recall, might have been in South Africa. <laughs> I may have it wrong, but anyway, uh, he was scraping out a living as many farmers do and did, but he kept reading about these diamond finds elsewhere, and he was jealous and wanted to make more money and and all you had to do was find a diamond and uh, then you'd have a mine and you'd be rich beyond your wildest dreams. So he sold his farm at a discount and used the money to go looking for diamonds uh, elsewhere. Meanwhile, uh, and that didn't work out well, the story goes, and I remember this, I can hear Earl saying it, after the search for diamonds didn't work out, broke uh, broke 
and despondent, he threw himself in a river and died. Meanwhile, back at the farm he'd sold, a guy who bought it was walking through the field one day and saw an unusual rock and kicked it and he just had never seen anything like it. So he took it to somebody in town who knew about minerals and so on. And what he had discovered was one of the largest uncut diamonds ever discovered had been lying there in the field for years, probably plowed up when they turned the place into a farm and no one had noticed. That led, of course, to further investigation. And what he had bought on that farm was one of the largest diamond mines ever. And uh, as I tell that story, I, I'm thinking it's got to be South Africa or someplace. But the story is, is uh, appropriate and teaches a lesson no matter where it was. And the point of the story, the way Earl told it, and I assume the way Mr. Cromwell told it, was that you have acres of diamonds right under your feet, wherever you are and whatever you're doing. And the trick is to find them. Now, there may be a move that is better to, you know, better your situation. If there weren't, I'd still be in Atlanta working for my father as a food broker. So I understand the value of moving up and shifting your circumstances and so on. But odds are, wherever, wherever you are right now, somebody is making a lot of money because they're working their field better than you are and uh, more than uh, you are, and that you could be doing virtually the same thing. And so your acres of diamonds are probably where you are right now, or nearby, or with a slight shift. Uh, I was in selling and not making a lot of money, although I was number one, whatever that means. Uh, so I, I moved from Atlanta to California, went from the food broker's business to the cosmetic business and so on, and uh, uh, got rich, became president of the company, traveled all over the world and so on. But the truth is, I wasn't doing anything significantly different, making a half a million dollars a month, than I was making $100 a week in Atlanta. I was selling. I was Ben Gay. I was greeting people, being friendly, following up, etc. I just got onto a better playing field. And that's sort of the, the point of Acres of Diamonds. And doubling back, and by the way, I think you can hear all of that or parts of it. If you get a copy, I don't know how they produce it. I have a record here on my desk, a 33 and a third record, Earl Nightingale's The Stranger's Secret. Uh, one of the classic recordings of all time, Earl wrote it. Here's uh, serendipity, Denise. Earl had an insurance agency in Chicago, and it was doing pretty well, but it wasn't. And he was on the radio, starting to get on the radio on WGN, the big gun, and because of his magnificent voice. Once, and he had a sales meeting at his insurance agency every Saturday morning. Uh, one Saturday morning, he wasn't going to be there. So he sat down and wrote The Strangest Secret. This is 1956 and had it put on a record to play at the sales meeting since he wasn't going to be there. That was the beginning and end of it. He didn't think any more about it. He was a rather profound guy. So writing things that were profound weren't groundbreaking for him. 
but uh, he uh, wrote and recorded it and people started telling other people about it and hey Earl could I get a copy and so on so we formed the Nightingale Company and uh, later Nightingale Conant uh, the record I have was sold by a distributor named Lloyd Conant who became Earl's partner later and it became the Nightingale Conant Company but back then in 1956, a 33 and a third record designed simply to play for a sales meeting he wasn't going to be at became a classic recording. I think it's still the best one on personal development ever done. And without hardly any advertising, went on to sell millions of copies and become the largest non-entertainment uh, record in history at the time. I don't know if that's still true or not. A classic recording. So get a hold. I, the last I, I had one on cassette and then I had one on DVD, uh, probably on Audible now or whatever. Get on and, you can listen to it on YouTube. Oh, okay, on YouTube. That's all over the place. Yeah. Well, get get a hold of it or get it in your earphones and listen to The Strangest Secret. And I would do it, I have to admit, I don't do it anymore because I can uh, do whole sections of it from memory. But uh, the I used to listen to it every 30 days. Read Think and Grow Rich once a year and uh, listen to The Strangest Secret every 30 days. And then he had an expanded version of The Strangest Secret, or sort of The Strangest Secret on steroids called Lead the Field where he took every concept in Stranger's Secret and blew it up a little bit, expanded on it. But it is, it's fun to listen to him because he has such a magnificent voice. But his message was so powerful. I may have told you this story before, but when I joined the cosmetic business in 1965, my sponsor said, you're young and inexperienced. Let me give you a couple of things that might help you. And he gave me an old beat-up copy of Think and Grow Rich by... Dr. Napoleon Hill, and the record that I have right here on my desk, The Strangest Secret by Earl Nightingale. He said, go home, listen to this, and read this. So I went home and listened to The Strangest Secret first. That didn't require a lot of effort. Put it on the record player and listen. And then I got to reading Think and Grow Rich, and I put that in my once-a-year pile, Think and Grow Rich, in my in the, in the beginning, uh, the, the Strangest Secret in the beginning daily and then weekly, and then monthly, and I did it monthly for years and years. So one day, sitting at, the, now I'm, I've come to California, sitting in a big house, president of uh, Holiday Magic Cosmetics, and two of the people who worked with me, my paid mentors, were there as weekend guests. One was Earl Nightingale, the other one was Dr. Napoleon Hill. We're sitting in the living room, and I told them the story I just told you. And one of them, I don't remember which one, where I said, well, did it help? <laughs> and I, I looked around out over San Francisco Bay and all the beautiful bridges and so on, and, uh, and 156 acres of pasture land. And uh, I started to smile. And when they caught on to what I was doing, I said, and you both work for me. Ooh. So I... So I guess I guess it did. <laughs> Tremendous help. But anyway, get a hold of if you pick up nothing else today, learn this. You must hear the strangest secret. And once won't do it, 
on a regular basis would be a wonderful idea. And of course, I've been advocating the reading of Think and Grow Rich for many, many years. So, Absolutely. and and listen, and you and I have talked about the voice of God a long time ago. You mentioned that to me. We were talking about Earl Nightingale, and mm-hmm. I had to try it. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm in my office. I can't really see out my my desk is you know away from the door, so I can't really see what's going on in the other part of the house. But as you know, I have cats. Most of the time, they're pretty well behaved, but every once in a while. So I stuck my head around the, the door and in my voice of God, I said, get off the counter. And oh my God. <laughs> and every once in a while, I'll do it now, but I don't stick my, my face out because I can hear them and I can almost tell you which one it is. And I'll, in my voice of God, say that bump <laughs> and down. The, I can see them looking around like, how does she know? Because they can't see me. So the voice of God works. I'm just yeah, it does. If, if Earl was still, still alive, I'd have written record a couple of phrases for you to play with your cats. <laughs> I <laughs> would sure, love sure that. sat up and listen. Speaking <laughs> of voices, and again, I tend to repeat stories because they mean a whole lot to me. But uh, one day I was at uh, Earl's office in Chicago, 333 North Michigan Avenue. My head is full of useless facts. That's one of them. And uh, he said to me, we're going to go uh, have lunch with a friend of mine I want you to meet. And I oh, said, I oh, okay. Keep so going. We, we walked over the bridge from his office over the one of those inlets off Lake Michigan, almost froze to death getting there in my lightweight uh, California suit. And uh, he, of course, had on an overcoat and was dressed appropriately. We get to the restaurant and we walk in and this guy saw us coming and he stood up with that expectant look. So I knew this must be the person because he recognized Earl. And uh, so we headed over to him and I said, hi, I'm Ben Gay. And in this beautiful voice, he said, and I'm Paul Harvey. And I thought, oh, this is going to be a long lunch. I'm going to sit between Earl Nightingale the voice of God and Paul Harvey, whose voice was almost as good, different, but almost most as good. It was the quietest Ben Gay has ever been at a luncheon, a dinner, or anywhere else, because I felt like every time I talked, I was imitating Minnie Mouse. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah, and I didn't know who, who Paul, I, I knew who Paul Harvey was. I'd heard our changing world for a long time, but I didn't know what he looked like. He was a radio, like Earl, he was a radio person. So the reason I didn't recognize him was just that reason. I don't think I'd ever even seen a picture of him. I still listen to him. I, he, he and Earl Nightingale, just, they are amazing voices, but what they delivered you just can't pass by. You have to pay attention. And when you're talking about the acres of diamonds, the, while you were talking about that, I kept going back to Napoleon Hill. And what what was the, um, it's in the strangest secret, three feet from gold. That's another important story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Well, they, they both, uh, Dr. Hill writing, he gave speeches and you can see them on video, but it, speaking was not his strong suit. Earl hated it. And was great at it. Paul Harvey did fine. It wasn't his favorite medium either. Once you sit in the radio studio long enough, 
You don't need other people around. You don't need the adulation of the crowd. I asked Earl, what was the high point of your speaking career? He said the first time they flipped on the switch right after sundown when the AM stations can turn up their power. Uh, he said, I went on right after sundown on WGN, the big gun out of Chicago. And I said, hello, this is Earl Nightingale. And I realized that my mother and everyone I've ever met in my life could hear me. You know, he, he said it just triggered so much. Uh, you might say power, but that would sound egotistical. But he, uh, it was like I found my place sitting in this booth, talking to all over the United States, most of Canada and uh, northern Mexico. He said, I have found my place. And then gradually he was on Radio Free Europe and the Armed Forces Network and so on. So when he said, hello, this is Earl Nightingale, he was speaking to the world way ahead of Facebook and, and uh, LinkedIn and uh, YouTube and all those things. He was an early creator, although he didn't know it. And now we have podcasting, which is largely the same thing. You can mm -hmm. reach an enormous, excuse me, I'm losing my voice. You can reach an enormous audience. You really well, you can. and I right now are able, to, they may or may not be listening, but we're talking to more people now than Earl Nightingale did from WGN on any one, one show. He would be yeah. amazed at this. He would be dominating podcasting. Oh, he would be my guest every day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I got one day a week. You, you and him. <laughs> <laughs> I got Wednesdays. Earl has all um, days. Yeah. I'd scoot you in. I would. <laughs> You're one of my favorite people. But you know, the thing is, and I do listen to Earl Nightingale and I do listen to Paul Harvey, especially when he was talking about America. Yeah. Yeah. You know, thank you. Thank really, the farmer. That's exactly stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, come Thanksgiving, come autumn, I'm putting that out there. It's just so, so important. But they did reach a lot of people and we are getting a little bit far afield, but we're talking about, you know, the, um, the things that are right underneath your feet when you're trying to sell or you're, you are a salesperson. And I wanted to talk with you very quickly about customer retention. And I'll tell you right now, there's a lot, <laughs> I get so irritated. I'll have to call AT&T and say, mm. my, first of all, you, you know, your stuff doesn't work out the time. Yep. I would like you to give me some of my money back because, you know, I had these, these periods where nothing was working. But then you'll find out that all of a sudden your rate just went up, your service fees just went up. So when you call them, they don't care. Now, if they care enough and they think you're really going to leave them, they might offer you what they're offering new customers. But chances are they won't even do that. And I think that's a huge mistake. Absolutely. They are treating us like, well, you're already here. What are you going to do? I was thinking the other day, what I'm going to do. I was having a run in with AT&T. Uh, our team was, and then I said, well, let me handle it. <laughs> uh, that didn't work either. They uh, have become, when Judge Green, I think was his name, or Greenberg or something, broke up AT&T because they were too big, monopolistic, weren't listening to their people anymore. So he broke them into numerous companies and opened it up to competition, which is where most of the companies we talk about today came from. They were by law 
banned from not competing with AT&T before Judge, well, we'll call him Judge Green. I may have the name wrong uh, before him. And I was thinking the other day in dealing with him, I wish Judge Green would come back because although the laws have changed and there are other companies in competition, AT&T has developed once again that monomalist monopoly oh, yeah. attitude they, uh, they have. where uh, we're big and we don't care. And when you say to some clerk in the Philippines, I may cancel my account, uh, she's thinking about, do I get a ham sandwich today at lunch? Or as soon as I get this idiot off the phone, uh, the, uh, the fear of protecting your customers, retaining your customers has gone away. I have zero loyalty to AT&T. Yeah. And I don't, if, if it was, you know, Bob Smith's telephone company, I'd never say that because Bob Smith's struggling and so on. But AT&T has become, like several other companies recently, a giant that's too big to care. And That's exactly right. And, you know, listen, I had a lot of trouble with my LG refrigerator. By the hmm. way, don't ever buy it. Don't. Just don't. If you <laughs> want to buy a refrigerator, they're pretty. They, I mean, they look great. Keep on going. They're junk, <laughs> seriously. And I I actually had to just say, okay, listen, I'm, you know, I've done a bit of research on this and there is a class action suit. Guess where I'm going? Oh, all of a sudden I was back in warranty. It was magic. Oh. Huh. Yeah. Maybe, but, yeah. Maybe I'll try class action suit next time. <laughs> yeah. Find one and say, I'm going to go join that. But, but you know, LG is one of them. AT&T is one of them. And their big selling point right now is, oh, well, you know, if you go to, you know, this this company, this company, they're still working off our AT&T. They're still working off of us. We're still getting paid. We don't care what you do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. What we're saying to everybody who's listening is don't be like that. You're current customers are the people who dance with you they've always been with you so let's expand on that a bit i'll tell you a quick story about at&t and this was several companies ago and 40 years ago so i think i'm past the statute of limitations we took them before the puc i think that's public utilities commission here in california because they had overbilled us you wouldn't believe what 800 numbers used to cost when I started the call center. Oh, I know. I know. Yeah. Our average phone bill was about $86,000 a month for that operation. And, uh, but they were supposed to monitor, you know, okay, now you need two lines or now you don't need 10 lines. You only need eight and so on. And they weren't doing that. So I finally hired a guy to come in from AT&T to, he wound up running part of the business, but I brought him in as a phone consultant and he figured out that they had overbilled us $100,000 over the past number, X number of months, whatever uh, that was, you know, you can only go back so far. So whatever period of time he could go back, he'd overbilled us $100,000. So we went before the PUC, laid out our case. And the judge or panel, I forget whether there were two, three, or one, but I was only there a few minutes, listened to the story, and they did what they do in small claims court. They split the difference. We proved they overbilled us $100,000. AT&T said they did fine. The judge said, give them back $50,000. So we got 50 of the 100000 we were actually owed. 
and we got and you know i want to check cut immediately type thing a few days later we got a check in the mail for 50 for fifty thousand dollars and that was better than nothing but i was still aggravated and a few weeks later we got our phone bill and it had a fifty thousand dollar credit on it so we got our hundred thousand and I had a business partner at the time. I said, I can't wait to tell the world about this. He said, you will tell no one about this. No one. I think other than immediate family and close friends, you're the first, you and your listeners are the first person I've ever told that story to. But it was one of the few times somebody beat AT&T, even if it was through a clerical error. $50,000 check and a $50,000 credit. Uh, no apology. No, we'll do better. I had to put a guy on the staff and pay him a good deal of money just to watch them. He, he got other duties over the years, but his original job was we're paying you just to watch AT&T. Jeez. They are a despicable organization. People within yeah. it are fine, but cumulatively that attitude, you know, you, uh, Warren Buffett said, uh, when you invest, buy a company that any idiot can run because eventually that's who will be running it. And AT&T has got slapped down by Judge Green and has grown back into the monster they were. And it's too bad. And they're not, based on today's subject matter, the problem is they're not dancing with the one that brung you. I've been they're under not. various, yeah, under Pac Bell, Southern Bell, et cetera, all the various aliases. I've been with AT&T my entire life. I mean, the day I was born, if the phone rang, that was AT&T. <laughs> uh, and uh, I've never figured out a way to get away from them. You can get your cell phone away. You can get this little segment, this little segment, but by and large, there's no way to avoid them. Oh, and my cell phone still runs on the AT&T network. So, man, but the service is better and the service is important. And that's what we're talking about. You want to retain your customers. You want to you know, provide good service. Look, even if they don't contact you, but once every 10 years, and I've had that happen as mm -hmm. a web developer, you know, I've, people will say, okay, because I'll turn the website over to them. And I've got a, a bit of a, a law about that. It's like, here's your website because it's all done on WordPress these days. And I'll, you know, I'll give them a quick, this is how you can make quick edits. This is how you can write your blog. But if you do any of this other stuff and you break it, I'm going to charge you a hundred dollars an hour to fix it. And if you really tick me off, there's going to be a pain in the ass sales tax. So it's going to be $150. So they don't break them. They really don't. <laughs> yeah. But, but the point is I've, I've had people, you know, from websites that I built a long time ago, Denise, there's something wrong with my website. Well, you know, it could be that the, the theme is outdated. It could be that you've got problems internally with your hosting company. There's a lot of things that could go wrong. And they'll say, can you fix it? Can you look at it? And I'll say, sure. If it's something that'll just take me a minute to fix it, even though I haven't actually worked with these people for years, I'll fix it. If it's going to take me an hour or so, I'll say, okay, I'm going to bill you for two hours. You know, here's here's where you pay me and I'll go ahead and get it fixed. If you take care of them, whether it's right then, right there, or 10 years down the road, they're still going to come to you. They're still going to refer you. And every chance they get, they're going to be your cheerleader. I mean, they really are. Yep. 
And and those people, if you work your farm uh, properly, those people they refer to you come bound, gagged, and whatever the term is when you're wrestling cattle to the ground. Uh, hog tied. Hog tied, yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're, they're, I'm a city boy. Uh, they're done. There's no selling. I brag about having an 86% closing rate in my personal sales if I'm talking to them face-to-face, over the internet, whatever, 86% closing rate. But I know an organization called the National Communication Center. It was the one that started the call center industry and the one I started. It had a 100% closing rate in a call center with unexperienced uh, people. They got experienced quickly, but they were, you know, housewives who wanted to make an extra few dollars. So they worked in our call center. Their closing rate was 100%. Why? Because they were answering calls that had been triggered by referrals, advertising, newspaper stories, et cetera. In other words, they came sold. If 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 the phone rang and you didn't hang up with an order, then we want to talk to you because everybody bought. It didn't require selling. It was order taking 50,000 calls a day, roughly. Every one of them closed because they came by referral. They already trusted you or they didn't care. Uh, Dial this number to get the XYZ vegetable slicer. Um, Get your Elvis Presley records. Xerox, some of the huge companies used us successfully. But the trick was they came pre-sold. Well, that's what a referral is. If I can get someone, uh, even if it just happens accidentally over the years, but if I can get somebody to say to someone, what you need to do is have Ben Gay come in and talk to your national convention or your quarterly meeting or what have you. When they call me, I don't have to go, well, here's what I will do and I'll do this and da, da, da. They go, we want to hire you to come and talk to our people, what's it going to cost? 12500 plus airfare and hotel. Okay, where do we send the check or wire or whatever? And uh, no selling. Reputation and referrals from working the mine, from working the, your acres of diamonds. Take care of them. I was just made a note while we were talking to people, and I've told you versions of this story before, but two people showed up at a meeting I held 58 years ago in Jackson, Mississippi, as a favor to a friend, Winston Hoffman and Nolan Bush. The room was set for 500 people. Rucker, my running buddy, great salesperson I ever worked with, came down to the little locker room where I was changing clothes, getting ready to go up. It was a basketball gym, as best I recall. Uh, And he said, he's ready or they're ready or something like that. And I said, is the place full? And he said, well, not exactly. There's, uh, I forget if one of them came in later or was in the bathroom or something, but the impression I had was I was going to talk to two people. And that was basically what it turned out to be 58 years ago. But I've nurtured the reputation, uh, relationship. I've given them referrals over the years, et cetera. And I do business with them on a regular basis. There have been some gaps in the middle. Nothing went wrong. We just weren't doing anything where we could help each other. Probably five or 10 years. But basically, 58 years ago in a basketball gym in Jackson, Mississippi, I treated two people properly. I gave them the full 
vote the full presentation. I only alluded to the empty gym once, I said in the beginning, because they still talk about it. Uh, I've only learned how to give this presentation by script. So although there's just two of you and two of us, do you mind if I do that? And they said, no, okay. So I said, good evening, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> My name is Ben Gay, and I went right into the scripted presentation for the cosmetic company. But I've nurtured them. They've been one of my acres of diamonds, 58 years, and I've talked to Nolan in the last week or 10 days. And my first running buddy, I know we all have friends we've had for years, but I've been in business off and on uh, as a partner, as a uh, him as a client a couple of times, me as a client, him, Jimmy Rucker for 63 years. I don't treat, and just about everybody I've ever dealt with, I could go back to right now because I treated them properly when we were doing business. One exception, I sold the first Pong games uh, for Atari, what was the forerunner to Atari. And uh, I fully, I thought it was just amazing because I, I grew up around, my one of my uncles was the largest pinball jukebox distributor uh, in the southeastern United States. So I sort of knew the industry and I said, oh, this is exciting. And I called my uncle Howard and told him all about it. He said, don't do it. And I said, why? He said, because all the prime, one, they're going to be everywhere pretty quick. And two, the prime locations are taken by people like me and we don't give ground gracefully. I should have listened. That was sort of one of those make them an offer they can't refuse type statements because that business, he wasn't, but that business was dominated by mafia and so on. Oh. But anyway, I ignored his advice and uh, signed up and started selling, became their number one salesperson and sold big clump of, of Pong machines to people. And then we would place them in the various locations. Uh, none of them were successful, none of them. And if they went into... Uh, a uh, location where they could have been successful, you would come in to pick up your quarters and find a hammer through the glass top. That meant you'd gotten into a place that the, the boys just didn't want you in. Oh. So if you bought a Pong machine from me uh, in the early 70s, I think it was, uh, I would not, and I still had your name, I don't. I wouldn't call back. It was not a pleasant experience. I wasn't dishonest. I was a true believer, but I was wrong. Mm -hmm. Except for those two years, let's say, probably a little less than two years, except for those two years, there isn't a professional level customer I've had since 1965 that I couldn't call right now and have at least a pleasant conversation with and probably do business take dance with the one that brung you treat it like your acres of diamonds nurture them you have more uh, if you've been in selling a little while you held more business beneath your feet than you could handle if you were treating them properly if you were treating them with the enthusiasm of a brand new customer i for instance denise don't uh, we, we haven't run an ad selling books or my services or whatever. We haven't run a paid ad anywhere. And I think, it, I know it's over 30 years. It must be coming up on 35. 30 years, no advertising. Because I have a backlog of people 
and or now their children. <laughs> they, I have customers who call me Uncle Ben. Uh, the, uh, I have a backlog of those people. And people say, how do you build your business? I said, I answer the phone. I check my emails a couple of times a day and I answer the phone. That's pretty much it. I can't, well, don't you want your business to grow? Not really. I'm already doing more than I want. And I don't want to build it. I don't want another 200 people in-house organization. I don't have the time or energy to run it. You know, you used to, in Holiday Magic, you had a million salespeople across the world. I said, yeah. Wouldn't you like to have those days back again? No. Do you know what it takes to nurture a million people? No. So what I'm advocating is rather than set up a 5,000 acre farm, which turns into a diamond mine at some point, hopefully, uh, set up a more manageable business, a more uh, manageable group of clients and friends, and then treat them properly. Remember, people buy from people they know, like, trust, and with whom they feel safe depending on your business and the numbers can go up and down. If you have a couple of hundred of those, you're going to do fine. If you're the go-to guy, you were talking about people call you for various things. Uh, I've been, I didn't intend to, but I'm sort of the go-to guy. If you have some question, a friend or client of mine has some question and they can't find the answer. Google is lighting my load a little bit, but they can't find the answer. My phone rings. Ben, I know you don't do this, but do you know, fill in the blank. And I go to my trusty Rolodex manual on my desk, not on the computer. I go to my trusty Rolodex, flip through it and pull out two cards, usually sometimes three. And somewhere in those two or three cards is the answer to the question. And I'm now calling for a friend to a friend. You're not in my Rolodex because I picked up your card in a, in a laundromat. You're in the Rolodex because we've done business. I trust you. You've referred people to me. I've referred people to you. That's treating it like an acre of diamonds. And it's treating it like dance with the one that brung you. Because they will long. To, now, if you're a salesperson listening to this and you've been in selling about two days, I'm talking about your future. It, it, that won't carry you today. All the people you've talked to in those two days, probably total three, four or five, and not all of them like you and not all of them needed your business. And because you're new, you didn't handle them right anyway. So most of them don't remember you. But a year from now, it's starting to get interesting. And two or three years from now, uh, that's worth about 30% of your day every day, taking care of them. And then you nurture them, take care of them. You dance with the one that brung you. And uh, it's so, so gratifying and far less expensive. I noticed in the chapter, it's been a while since I've read it, but uh, flipping through it before we got on the phone today, I quote a figure. I don't know where I got it, but the point was that it costs, I think the figure was 70% more to go get a new customer than to nurture and take care of the one you got. It's true. And listen, if you don't mind, I'm going to read from the book because while we're talking about this, and you're right, it costs, I think, six to 10 times more expensive to 
you know, find new clients, new customers. But then you go on to say, does that mean you should stop prospecting for new business? Of course not. Try that and you'll look around one day and find yourself flat broke. Your customer base will always need constant additions. People move away, people die, companies move away or change direction or go belly up. So you've got to constantly keep adding new customers to your foundation. That's important word, y'all, foundation. But that doesn't change the fact that you can service your existing customers with far less energy and expense than you'll spend chasing after a new account. And I love this. And here's a, a hidden double bonus in this system of working with established customers. Know what it is? Here's a clue. The late great sales trainer, Elmer Wheeler, was fond of saying, find a need and fill it. Yep. He's not wrong. Yeah, and and while you were reading that, it reminded me of, we're talking about Winston Hoffman and Nolan Bush 58 years ago, Jimmy Rucker 63 years ago, and people I met two weeks ago. Uh, But I'm not saying they're with the same company or doing the same thing. In fact, none of them are. None of them. Um, the uh, I deal with people I dealt with when they were with Sears Roebuck, uh, then Sears, and now virtually out of business. It's a real estate company holding on to the few stores they still have left. Those things all change, but the personal relationship should not. There you go. In, unless they uh, screw you over or something, and they go on. You know, I people are always saying on on uh, the internet. Forgive and forget. And I usually, if I have time to respond, I write, I've gotten forgiving down to a science, but I keep a list because I don't want to have to forgive those people again. They've, they've revealed what they are, and that's never going to change. People can do what they've always done. If they've always been a crook, they're still a crook. If they I know that from working at uh, San Quentin and Lompoc, the federal prison compound down in Southern California. Um, the guy who robbed the bank uh, may not rob banks anymore, but he's usually, he can be talked into doing something else <laughs> he shouldn't be doing. People are going to do what they've always done unless it was a one-time error uh, and he or she didn't even know they were making the error. Short of that, most people are good keep track of them, nurture them, get them to know, like, trust you and feel safe with you. And you have a business. That is my business. I've sold many things, sell many things now because I sell actively for clients as if I were with them like an employee. Uh, I sold for Nightingale when I was running Holiday Magic Cosmetics. Oh, by the way, uh, that reminds me of uh, a magic phrase I came up with for Nightingale Conant. Uh, Earl asked me to build a distributor organization for them like Holiday Magic. Well, they weren't multi-level marketing, so that really wasn't possible. But I could certainly build an organization and make it successful and so on. So I went out and started, I wrote some scripts and then went out to test them before I gave them to the, to the company, to Earl, because I want to make sure they worked. And I was stunned to discover how few people had ever heard of Earl Nightingale. And uh, because he was such a big factor in my success, I thought the world knew about him. Well, it turned out I was a cult of one. Uh, 
uh, and uh, so I had more. to. Yeah, yeah. Well, then I had, he's done better in death than he did in life in some ways because the legend continues to grow. Same with Dr. Hill. But anyway, I went out, tested the scripts, and they were, I could tell they were effective. But the constant thing was, and who is this Earl Nightingale he keep talking about? So I came back. This is sales infiltration to a degree, the best chapter in the book, page 257 on closures part two. But I came up with this phrase, of course, when you first sit down, you know, hi, I'm Ben Gay. Good to see you. I see your kids are in a little league, blah, 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 as you're looking around the office. And then. Uh, let me tell you why I'm here. Of course, you've heard of Earl Nightingale, uh, the, most listened, yeah, the most listened to radio voice in the world, heard daily on over 700 radio, 700 radio stations in the United States and Canada, to which everyone, everyone said, oh, yes, yes, of course. These are the same people yesterday who thought Nightingale was a bird call. Uh, mm -hmm. But now but once you yeah. identified him, they were like, well, they're probably saying internally, well, I haven't heard him yet, but I will when this is over. Yeah, as soon as this guy gets out of right. here, I'm going to listen to him. And in Earl's defense, Paul Harvey had an hour long show, our changing, it was our changing world, I think, whatever. He had an hour long show. And uh, Earl, Earl's was our changing world. Earl had a five minute show that came on a record and the radio station put it on and it had little bands cuts in it. So one side had, I don't know how many, 15 radio shows on it, flip it over. He had another 15 radio shows. So Earl, even at his peak, wasn't dominating the airwaves. He was on for five minutes. You happened to be in your car and heard it or not. You liked it or you didn't or what have you, but he didn't dominate. So that was part of the, problem that the people had but as soon as it became of course you've heard Earl Nightingale the most listened to radio voice in the world heard daily on over 700 radio stations in the United States and Canada he was now a household word to them and they wouldn't have admitted anything else because it made them look stupid so that sales infiltration woven into this story and as a result of working with Earl and doing a good job for them, I do business. They're out of business now. I do business with some of their distributors, people who were distributors when Nightingale Conant was around. I do business with their distributors because I treated them well back when we did business together. Many of them are now in home improvement. One I talked to the other day is in the funeral business, pre-need funeral business and so on. But the products and service almost doesn't matter. It was the one-on-one -on -one relationships that we developed, and those are timeless. As I tell people, say, you know, don't ever take me off your list. I said, the only way you can get off my list is to have a survivor provide me with a certified death certificate. Short of that, you're a customer and a friend, whether we've talked yesterday or 10 years ago. And, you know, we were talking earlier about you know, you have to stay in touch with people. You have to keep, you really do need to stay in touch with you. So one of the questions that you asked in the book is, should you stop prospecting for new business? I see this time and time again. I've seen it because, you know, I'm a web developer. I watch things that are going on in the techie world. I am a techie. I'm a nerd in stilettos. Just ask me. Hmm. 
But but the thing is, I will see people constantly. I mean, they're all over the place on the internet. They're selling, they're selling, they're selling, they're build, building, they're just on fire. And then they get filled up. What Their program got filled up or their services got filled up and they just stop. And then all of a sudden those run out and they will run out, y'all. They will. Like we said, people are going to die. They're going to move away. They're going to stop doing what they're doing. In all my years, I've only had two web clients that really stopped working for me with me. One died and the other one moved to, to Germany and quit doing what he was doing. For the most part, I've kept all of my clients all of these years for a lot of reasons, because I stay in touch with them. I might do their social media. I'm recommending, I mean, back in the early days, I would say, before social media, even, I would say, did you see this commercial on JCPenney's about has some, it's kind of like Amazon, but it was, it was something else. I can't remember. And they're like, no. And all of a sudden we're doing social media, developing social media as it happened, but they will go away. And I see this all the time. People are like, oh, geez, now what do I do? And they're saying, Denise, how do I find new people? Do you have anybody? Can you, you know, can you send me people? Sure, but are you going to do this again? Because if you are, I'm not going to waste their time or yours. Good point. And the client that moved to Germany isn't, you say you lost two. You lost one to death. I'll spot you that. (laughs) Unless unless his or her kid inherited the business and they'll come back in a while. No, it does. But the one that moved to Germany is just temporarily out of your circle. There you we, go. We may be talking. Yeah, we may be talking a year or two or three from now. And you say, remember that guy in Germany I told you about? Well, he called me, and we're doing this, and we're doing that, and so on. Because if you treated them fairly, squarely, decently by the rules, that comes out of some of my teachings, and you're straight, straight with them. You establish a relationship where you're straight with them, and they're straight with you. They never really go away. They don't stop being clients. They're just sort of inactive. And, you know, there's so many different things you can do, Ben. I mean, with, I will see something that, you know, I'll see it on Facebook or I'll see it on LinkedIn. And and all of a sudden that pops a face into my, you know, my mind. And, oh, I'm going to send this to so-and-so. I may not have actually spoken with them in a number of years, but I'll say, yeah, I thought of you when I saw this. How are you doing? I'm not trying to gather up any more business from them. I really did just think of them. But it goes a long way. So like, oh, Denise, I've been thinking about you. Do you have any openings? Can you build a website for a friend of mine? Can I introduce you? It's there just you a natural progression. Yep. That's pretty much it. And and understand, don't get depressed when they seem to go away. Because sometimes... Like we just said, five years from now, the Germany guy or girl may call you and I'm ready to go again, or I'm sorry for not calling you, what have you. But uh, time and distance take their toll or used to now with the Internet and drip marketing, uh, drip friendship, for lack of a better word, nobody has to go away. I, you see stuff for me all the time. Rarely is it selling anything. It's giving you a quote or something I learned that some friend taught me and so on. But what I'm really doing is in addition to hopefully spreading some 
valuable information. I'm saying, hello, world. Ben Gay is alive. Staying top of mind. Yeah. Sent you an email this morning in case you've been thinking about him, but you hadn't called or whatever. Here's how you do it. Want to buy a book? Here's how you do it. But that's not the subject of this email. This email is to tell you what Zig Ziglar said to me at a meeting 40 years ago or what Dr. Hill said to me 50 years ago. And so I try and give something of value, but in it, I wouldn't do it, frankly, if there weren't something in it for me, not much, not traceable every time, but the something in it for me is I'm Ben Gay and I'm still alive. Well, and you actually are reaching out to other people. Listen, people somehow get the idea that everything they touch. I have a former client that that she was just wishes. Well, you know, we've posted this twice and nothing's happening. (laughs) Oh boy. (laughs) And I'm not going to even go down that rabbit hill or that rabbit hole, but you know, it's just, you have to be consistent. You have to stay top of mind somehow, but to do that, you have to be really helpful. It doesn't matter if it's just a cute, funny, or if it's wisdom that you've learned. And I love, I mean, I go look for you on those days when I know you're going to be posting. It's like, well, I look for you every day. But I was like, ooh, new one. And it's always out of your, your notebooks. And I don't know, tell Gigi, you know, someday I'm going to come over and grab all those notebooks and all. <laughs> to sound so easy. She's tired of hearing it. So when I croak, just say I want all of his notes. I want everything. <laughs> but, you know, it's just uh, the things that you're posting. And I know, I mean, I can tell this is not a, hey, pay attention to me. I'm, you know, I'm the great being gay. You're really putting out stuff that is timeless. It's helpful. Some of it's just downright funny. And other things are thought provoking. That's what we need as humans. We need to see and hear and read things that are actually helpful for us. You're an astute young lady. I know. Just, it's, such a, yeah, it's, it's, it's hard to be humble, isn't it? It is. <laughs> as the country song says, it's hard to be humble when you're as great as I am or something like that. I love that and, song. Yeah. Uh, and, and oh, it's Lord, true. it's hard to be humble. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> yeah. uh, well, some we- of you deserve that title and uh, you're one of them oh thank you (laughs) i appreciate that but you know i love talking with you because i always kind of look i've read your books i've read them multiple times in fact i'm looking at these when you sent these to me you dated them 520 2016 Hmm. I, i read them all the time i mean they really are a very important part of my my entrepreneurial library. And honestly, I don't consider myself to be a salesperson, not in the the way that a lot of people would say, oh, I'm a salesperson. I'm selling cars or, you know, I'm selling widgets or I'm selling something. But the truth is we're all selling something. Sure. A resume, we're selling something. We're on a date, we're selling something. You know, I'm talking to the cat, I'm selling get off the cabinets. You know, there's <laughs> always something. Don't you know, make me kill you. Yeah, don't make me bring out the voice of God. <laughs> But, you know, we're always and we're always selling ourselves. I'll tell you, the worst person to sell is me trying to sell me something. Hmm. I mean, it's 
it's a job. It really is. So sometimes, because I can argue both sides of any, or I mean, I should have been an attorney probably. I can sit on the fence and argue both sides. But I have read these books over and over and over again. I'll pick one up and say, oh, you know, I don't quite know what to do about this. And it may not be an actual sales question. I think this, I've been wanting to tell you, it's probably never a sales question. It's more about the wisdom and the generosity that I pick up from your pages. Well, I appreciate it. the best compliment I ever get is when somebody reads from the closers part two on, but part two in particular, because part one, I just edited and turned it into the bestseller of all time, but I really didn't write the first draft. Uh, and it, as some people have told me that doesn't sound like you great material, but doesn't sound like you. I said, it's not me. But they said, when I read the closers part two, I can hear you talking. Exactly. Yeah. And I wrote that one in longhand on a legal pad, on several legal pads. So my heart is really in it. Sometimes when I double back to read something or like for this podcast, I'll have to admit that I secretly say to myself, damn, that's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> I do that sometimes. I'll read something on Facebook or LinkedIn and I'll read it, not realizing that I wrote it. Go, oh, that's, oh, never mind. <laughs> that was me. Good girl. Oh, yeah. As we wrap up, I, I'm looking at the clock, so I know you're going to say that in a minute. Uh, here's one. Uh, we're sitting in the Senator Hotel, I think it was, in Washington, D.C., on a tour. And my first wife, Marsha, who's passed away, uh, was with me on the trip. And I picked up the Washington uh, Post, and there was a headline, Young and in the Money. And so I thought, oh, that's interesting, because I was all into money and success, money and success, money and success, you know, at that time. And I said, oh, this is interesting. I started reading. Well, within a sentence or two, I discovered it was about me. <laughs> and and uh, so I read it, and then I, I said, Marsha, come here and listen to this. And I read it. And I was almost getting teary-eyed. It was describing this amazing young man from California. And she said, when I got finished, she said, do you realize that's a press release that you wrote? Oh. oh. And I said, I said, no, it's in the Washington Post. I said, how did they get it? The press release. <laughs> well, our, our PR firm had sent it out. But, of course, I edited anything they wrote and sent out. So, uh, but a few weeks had passed and I was just thrilled to know that the Washington Post had figured out what a wonderful human being I was. <laughs> I'm sorry. I had to mute while I choked because I was laughing. So <laughs> I'm still laughing. <laughs> oh, you just made my day seriously. But, you know, going back to the, the closers part two, I've read both of them. Uh, the Closest part one was a bit of a slog for me. I admit that. But then when I got to the second one, mm -hmm. and I've told you this before, what I like the best about this book is that the chapters are one, maybe two, three pages long. That's it. But they're full of just amazing content. I mean, you you honed it. You, you got it to where people can go, ah, dance with the one that brought you. Okay. There's page one. There's page two. Very good. I've got it. The uh, last chapter, Sales Infiltration, uh, I'm not sure, but I think it's 30 or 40 pages is the longest chapter in the book by far. And that was inspired writing. I sat down to write 
guy knocked on my office door <clears throat> one day. Obviously, I didn't write the whole thing at once, but guys, and I was trying to sort of wrap up the book and put into writing what the the great salespeople, Zig Ziglar, me, Jimmy Rucker, etc., really did, which wasn't sit there and wait for an objection and then respond with this parrot-like response. There was something else going on, and I knew it. I did it but I didn't know how to write about it. So this guy knocks on the door, look up, comes in with a tool belt on. He said, I'm here to fix your filtration system. And I, I said, uh, oh, uh, I hate to be rude. I know you scheduled me in. And I stood up, walked around my desk, gently took him by the arm, walked into the door and locked the door after he was out saying, uh, you just gave me a great idea and I got to get it on paper before I forget it. And I locked the door behind him, sat down and wrote sales infiltration, which came out to 40 some odd pages, typed. You can imagine how long it was in longhand. Wrote it in one setting. It was like, I don't mean to sound creepy or over-religious, but it was like somebody else had my hand. Mm -hmm. And was saying, oh, you want to know about infiltration? How about this? And I just wrote it and wrote it and wrote it. And that's the best thing. Uh, people, we have, I think, closers part five plus sales infiltrate plus sales closing power at sort of six. And uh, the book about timeshare, the art and science of resort sales. So there's seven books out in print and another five being written. But if if you were on a budget and you didn't have, you couldn't buy all of them. Uh, get a hold of a friend who has the closers part two and photocopy if you have to the last 40 pages it explains everything that a master closer sales infiltrator is does and how to be one uh, if one of my kids were going into selling three of them are but we're going into selling now and say you know what do i do i'd give them a copy of the closers part two and said read it all but start with page 257. Uh, it, it is that strong. So for those of you looking for, I'm not trying to sell books, I am indirectly, but for those of you looking for the secret to selling, it's in the closers part two on page, starting on page 257. And I'm going to, I wanted to tell you too, when you're talking about this man coming in, that's a God wink. You and I have talked about those before. Mm-hmm. You know, every once in a while, I'll have a God wink says, call Ben and I call you and magic happens. Doesn't happen often because I don't want to nag you. Although I would if I could, but <laughs> I don't have permission. I'm not your wife, so I can't do that. Tell Gigi, I'm sorry I said that. But anyway, <laughs> it's, they are God winks. I mean, when, when those moments come to you, you have to stop what you're doing and take care of it or it goes away. So I wanted you to tell me very quickly, where can people tell, tell us about your mentoring program, because I think that's important. And where can people find what are widely identified as the sales Bibles, the closers. And I have one and two, and I have the one that you wrote for J. Douglas Edward. Sales closing power. Yeah. The green one as our staff calls it, everything yeah. else is blue. And where's the green one? <laughs> I don't know why it's green, but it is. Uh, the way they can get it is they can go to uh, a special place at eBay where they're sold. 
That's with special pricing and free shipping. So go to stores, S-T-O-R-E-S dot eBay dot com forward slash Ronzoni Books, R-O-N-Z-O-N-E-B-O-O-K-S, stores.ebay.com forward slash Ronzoni Books. They'll be shipped to you the same day you order. If you order before two o'clock California time, they'll be signed and dated by moi. And they come with an unconditional, no questions asked, lifetime money back guarantee. So that's how you do that. As to the mentoring program, uh, I call it sort of unofficially mentoring dynamics because that's what Dr. Hill and I were going to call it when he and I were working on it. Uh, putting it together. And what we were going to do is do for others what he did for me. He was hired to be my friend uh, and have an older, wiser person around who'd been up and down the road and up and down the mountainside and was willing to tell me what he and the people he worked with had learned. And then just as we were putting it together, had the marketing plan laid out, I talked to somebody yesterday, Merle Frazier, who was going to come to that class and be certified. Unfortunately, Dr. Hill died a little over 50 years ago, and I just sort of put it on the back burner. But I now do for others what Dr. Hill did for me. I take 30, 35 people, and it varies in number because it varies in who is time-consuming. You know, if I get 10 people who want to talk to me eight hours a day, that cuts the number down. But I have one, for instance, who I talk to every three or four years <laughs> for not much. He still has his original credit balance. So 30 to 35 people, and I do for them what Dr. Hill did for me. I'm older. I'm about to turn 81. My mind's still working. Uh, so we're in good shape. Uh, and uh, I share with you everything. The truth with the bark ripped off the way it really was when this good thing happened, the way it really was when this bad thing happened. Don't do that because a friend of mine did it and here's what happened to him or her. And uh, so I give you the benefit of my wisdom and which just comes from time. I'm not particularly smart, but I'm a great note taker and I've paid attention. I've listened, uh, listened. The Chinese have an old saying, I'm told, I read it the other day. That if you want to know what's further down the road you're traveling, talk to someone who's coming back exactly. up the road. Well, I've been down that road and back in good times and bad times, numerous times. And I haven't heard a brand new story, a brand new problem in several years. Every every story somebody comes up, well, here's the problem I'm in, blah, blah, is I've heard that story with a different name, different company name, different time. 20 times before. And I can tell you that here's what this guy did and how it worked out. This is how this lady handled it and, and so on. And you don't have to make those trips. Dr. Hill and J. Douglas Edwards and Earl Nightingale, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And there's about 50 names everyone would know that worked with me or for me personally. Uh, the Those people cumulatively cut 25 or 30 years off my learning curve. I didn't have to do that. I didn't have to do this. I didn't have to experience that. 
It wasn't that I went gliding through without problems. I had plenty of them. But I had a 10% of what I would have had without their help. So that's what I do. There's a small retainer up front, $2,950. Uh, I charge $300 an hour, but I bill by the minute. So four or five minutes or whatever. If I remember to write down the short conversation, frequently I don't, might cost you 15 or $20 off your credit. And uh, when we run out of money on the meter, you have a decision to make. And almost everybody stays with me. Some die. Some have moved away. And by really moved away, I have a client who's currently in Iceland. Uh -huh. We have a little uh, time difference and interest difference and so on. But he's, he's like your friend in Germany. He's coming back someday. He's not going to be in Iceland the rest of his life. Right. Uh, I, he lives in Reykjavik. I can't even spell Reykjavik. So uh, that's that's the mentoring program, and that's how you get the books. Gotcha. And I want next time we get on to devote some time to what you do, because you've been a tremendous help to me and so many other people, and they should have an opportunity to know about that. Oh, thank you. I'm not sure what I do. I'll have to think about that. I heard cats mostly. I do a lot of stuff. But <laughs> listen, before we say goodbye, we're just about out of time. So for our audience, before we say goodbye, I would like to remind our audience to be sure to look for us in iTunes and anywhere else you consume your business podcast. Literally, you cannot throw a stick on the Internet without hitting your partner in Success Radio and me and Ben Gay. So find us and take us along on your journey. Ben, very quickly, how can people reach you for the mentoring program? Shoot me an email and say mentoring in the subject line. The email is bfg3 at, that's B as in Ben, F as in Frank, G as in Gay, the number three at direct con. That's short for direct connect, D-I-R-E-C-T-C-O-N dot net. Shoot me an email, put in the subject line mentoring, I'll send you back. It's a form letter, but I'll personalize it so you won't know that. And it explains to you exactly how the mentoring program works. But the good news with the mentoring program is you really help me design it. They're not all the same. There's not a, you're not going to get a 45-page manual. You and I will develop what you need, and we'll spend all of our time on that. Perfect. Ben, thank you. I can't wait until next week. I'm going to now shelve the book again, reluctantly, and I will see you soon. All right, Denise. Have a wonderful day. Love you. you. Love you too. Bye. Bye. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. 
Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.